3 a.m. Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, and welcome to 3 a.m. Tales of Terror, where we tell you stories of the paranormal. I'm your host, Jamie. And I'm your co-host, Kenny. Yeah, so this is the second episode with Kenny. I hope you guys still like him. I mean, If I s- not, you'll get over it. I still like him, but you know. She's legally, she's legally obligated to. Yeah, and our third co-host, Eli, is also in the room with us because, you know, he has to know everything that we're doing. See, before with Charlie, it was easy because he would be in the room with Kenny. Now, he is in here with us because he's like, oh, mom and dad, what are you doing? Yeah, so, okay. So, today's episode, we're going to be telling you the story of the Hoosick Tunnel in Massachusetts. Well, it runs from Massachusetts to Vermont. And I have actually been here. This is the second story that we've done that I've actually visited. No way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have been, um, because my mom is from North Adams, Massachusetts, and um, there's a portal for the tunnel in North Adams, and I have been to that one. Hoosick sounds like it would be more from, like, Minnesota. Oh my gosh. Does it not? I don't know. Oh, yeah, we got to go through the Hoosick Tunnel there, bud. <laughs> oh, my God. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that video that I sent you of the woman who had gotten they were in wisconsin and they got snow and she was like she was going out oh she didn't have boots on i think and she was like i didn't know i needed my boots i didn't know there was gonna be this much snow and i was like that is the most wisconsin thing <laughs> i think anybody's ever said yeah, nothing really happens too much up here there bud just some snow all right we go massachusetts though yeah so east coast okay stay on track you bitch i'm sorry I get distracted. Okay. The Hoosick Tunnel is a 4.7-mile active railroad tunnel in western Massachusetts that passes through the Hoosick Range, an extension of Vermont's Green Mountains. It runs in a straight line from its east portal along the Deerfield River in the town of Florida to its west portal in the city of North Adams. Work began in 1851 under an estimated cost of $2 million and ended in 1875, having used $21 million. At its completion, the tunnel was the world's second longest after the 8.5-mile Montsinus Tunnel through the French Alps. It was the longest tunnel in North America until the 1916 completion of the Conanot Tunnel, under Rogers Pass in British Columbia. It remains the longest active transportation tunnel east of the Rocky Mountains, and as of 1989, is the sixth longest railroad tunnel in North America. The American Society of Civil Engineers made the tunnel a historic civil engineering landmark in 1975. Hoosick is an Algonquin word meaning place of stones. It's Algonquin. No, it's Algonquin. You're not going to... I will die on this hill. I know it's Algonquin. It's Algonquin. No, it's not. In Grand Theft Auto 4, people that lived in Algonquin... Algonquin. It's Algonquin. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) My God. 
The tunnel project was originally proposed in 1819 as a canal to connect Boston to upstate New York via the Deerfield River on the east of the Hoosick Range and on the Hoosick River on the west. That project was shelved and later reborn as part of the new Troy and Greenfield Railroad. The project was nicknamed the Great Boar by its critics, including future Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., who said that he would like to wall up a dozen lawyers at one end of the tunnel and put a good fee at the other. The most important proponent of the northern route and the Hoosick Tunnel was Alva Crocker, a self-made paper mill owner from Fitchburg, Massachusetts. The project, which was promoted by Crocker, but mostly organized and engineered by others, notably Herman Hopped, in the early stages, and several other firms under contract under the direction of several head engineers assigned by the state of Massachusetts, which took over the project after it initially failed and went bankrupt. In 1841, Crocker formed the Fitchburg Railroad, chartered 1842, opened in 1845, between Boston and Fitchburg. In 1844, Crocker incorporated the existing Vermont and Massachusetts railroads, which ran from Fitchburg west to Greenfield, as well as northward from Miller Falls to Brattleboro, Vermont. In 1848, Crocker secured from the legislator a charter for the TNG, Troy and Greenfield Railroad, with provisions for a tunnel through Hoosick Mountain. The first chief engineer of the tunnel project was A.F. Edwards. In 1854, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts provided $2 million in credit to Edward Wellman Serrell, names are hard, and company, which began work in 1855. In 1856, Herman Hopp took over as chief engineer. The Western Railroad, led by Chester W. Chapin, which ran a southern route through Springfield and Pittsfield, opposed the Hoosick Tunnel and its northern route through the state. It successfully lobbied to block state funding of the tunnel in 1861, which bankrupted Hopped and temporarily stopped the project. Hopped had excavated 4,250 feet, or about a fifth of the distance at that point. He left and became a Union Army Railroad engineer and general in the American Civil War. So, this is going to be very fun, trying to navigate doing this podcast with the cat, because he's, he's something fucking out. I've had this cat for 11 years. (laughs) I'm his father. (laughs) I rescued him and he, for some reason, when I'm home, cannot not be around me, so. Yeah, well, whenever we get into the new house, at least we'll have to do it, like, in the living room. Maybe he won't bother us as much, or he won't be trying to open fucking doors as much. Yeah, we can just open a window. As long as he can bird watch, he'll be okay. (sighs) Yeah, until we are talking too much, and he's trying to take a nap, and he's like, Okay, shut up. Thank you. You cannot hold him the whole time we're doing the podcast. I definitely can, and I will. (laughs) I will hold this cat. Oh, my God. Okay, so moving on to the completion of the Hoosick Tunnel. In 1862, the Troy and Greenfield Railroad defaulted on its loan from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which foreclosed on the mortgage and took control of the railroad, including the tunnel project. The state sent engineer Charles Storrow to Europe to study modern tunneling techniques, including the use of nitroglycerin and compressed air. In 1863, the state, with Alva Crocker, now superintendent of railroads, restarted the project and made Thomas Thomas Doan the chief engineer. In 1868, the Massachusetts state legislator appropriated $5 million to complete the project. 
Canadian engineer Walter Shanley and his brother Francis took over the project from the state and remained through the completion of the tunnel boring. Among the consulting engineers at the time was Benjamin Henry Latrobe II, a noted civil engineer who was serving as the chief engineer of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. The final chief engineer was Bernard N. Farron, who took over on November 19, 1874, and on Thanksgiving Day that year, the last 16 feet of rock was removed beneath the town of North Adams. Farron completed the work including enlarging sections of the tunnel, reinforcing weak areas with arching, completing drainage systems, and completing the east tunnel facade. The first train passed through the tunnel on February 9th, 1875. By the way, I don't think I mentioned to tell you guys that um, whosictunnel.net, you can go there and get a very, very, very detailed history of the Hoosick Tunnel and its building and completion and all of that it literally goes from like 1815 to when it was done in like 1875 yeah, yeah the historical association went through it's and documented literally so, everything it's so long so i took the wikipedia route because if we were to sit here and read you all of that history from whosictunnel.net you would be so bored out of your minds and it would probably take two episodes to do that <laughs> so Went to the shorter route, gave you the gist of the information, and... Okay, so moving on. The tunnel construction project required excavation of 2 million tons, 2 million long tons, 2.2 million short tons of rock. On March 16, 1853, Wilson's patented stone-cutting machine, a tunnel-boring machine, was used. It failed after excavating 10 feet of rock. Tunnel builders resorted to hand digging and later used the Burley drilling machine, one of the first pneumatic drills. Construction also featured the first large-scale commercial use of nitroglycerin and electric blasting caps and the first such use in the United States. Digging the central shaft also allowed workers to open two additional faces to excavate. Once the shaft was completed in 1870, workers dug outwards from the center to meet the tunnels being dug from east and west portals. Engineers built a 1,000-foot-long elevator to hoist the excavated rock from the central shaft. One of the many engineering challenges posed by the project was getting the proper alignment between the four tunnel segments that were being dug. The east and west portal tunnels and the two tunnels dug outward from the central shaft. Engineers cleared a path through the forest, over the mountain, and strung a straight line from the east to west portals through siding posts on the east and west peaks of the Hoosick Mountain. In 1866, Thomas Doan took over as chief engineer. He resurveyed the alignment of the tunnel by constructing six towers. The alignment towers served to make sure the tunnel stayed true to its course. Grooved iron markers were originally used instead of these towers. Each tower, except the row neck tower, consisted of a transit scope, a sloped wooden roof on the top of the stone structure. Repeated surveys verified the line ran true between the posts, and steel bolts were installed at fixed intervals along the line. Only four of the towers remain today in ruins and can be found by using old roads and some bushwhacking through the current forest overgrowth. 
On December 12, 1872, workers opened the East Portal Tunnel to the Central Shaft Dug Tunnel, which was aligned with 9-16 inches, which was, which was a tremendous engineering achievement at that time. On November 27, 1873, the remainder of the tunnel was opened to the West Portal Tunnel. The Hoosick Tunnel allowed the summit of Fitchburg's route to be 600 feet lower than the Boston and Albany, which only had one short tunnel. Lewis Kyler? Kuehler? Kuehler? I don't know how to say his last name. Of the Hoosick Tunnel Museum Society described the project as the, quote, fountainhead of modern tunnel technology. So now we're going to talk about accidents and the awful working conditions. Deadly accidents during construction killed or seriously injured 195 workers with 135 verified deaths. Survivors dubbed the tunnel the Bloody Pit. Workers died from explosions, falling rocks, accidents involving ladders or scaffolding. In 1865, workers went on strike and burned buildings in protest. Fourteen men died or were injured working on the tunnel in 1866. The deadliest accident was the explosion in the central shaft on October 17, 1867. Workers were digging the tunnel's 1,028-foot vertical exhaust shaft when a candle in the hoist building ignited. Naphtha. 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 There you go. Gives me a lisp. (laughs) Naphtha fumes that had leaked from a gasometer lamp. The ensuing explosion set the hoist on fire and it collapsed into the shaft. Four men near the top of the shaft escaped, but 13 men working 538 feet below were trapped by the falling Namtha (laughs) Namtha, and pieces of iron. The pumps were also destroyed and the shaft began to fill with water. A worker named Mallory was lowered into the shaft by a rope the next day. He was overcome by fumes and reported no survivors and no further rescue attempts were made. Several months later, workers reached the shaft's bottom and found that several victims had survived long enough to fashion a raft before suffocating. So, okay, so there's a lot of history, obviously, with the Hoosick Tunnel. There's more if you go to their website, like I said. But now we're going to go back to 1865. And also this is where we're going to get into why it's haunted and one of the more famous stories of why it um, is haunted. So... Probably because there's ghosts there. Yeah, well, you'll see why. In 1865, the explosive nitroglycerin was was introduced to America and used for the first time in the construction of the Hoosick Tunnel. On the afternoon of March 20th, 1865, explosive experts Ned Brinkman, Billy Nash, and Ringo Kelly planted a charge of nitro and ran toward a safety bunker. Brinkman and Nash never made it. Kelly prematurely set off the charge, burying his co-workers alive under tons of rock. Soon after the accident, Kelly disappeared. He was not seen again until March 30, 1866. His body was found two miles inside the tunnel in the exact spot where Brinkman and Nash had died. Kelly had been strangled to death. Deputy Sheriff Charles F. Gibson estimated the time of death between midnight and 3.30 a.m. An investigation was carried out, but with no suspects, the murder was never solved. Some of the workmen, however, came to their own conclusion. They knew that Kelly had been killed by the vengeful spirits of Brinkman and Nash. 
Fearing the tunnel was cursed, they balked at entering it. Even visitors became uneasy inside the dark, dank cavern with water dripping continuously from the ceiling and streaming down the wall. Paul Travers, a mechanical engineer employed on the Hoosick Project, toured the tunnel with Mr. Dunn. Travers had been a highly respected cavalry officer in the Union Army. In a letter to his sister in Connecticut dated September 8, 1868, the engineer wrote, The men constantly complain of hearing a man's voice cry out in agony and refuse to enter the great shaft after nightfall. Mr. Dunn had reassured them, time and time again, that the strange sound is nothing more than the wild wind sweeping down off the mountainside. Our work was slowed to the point where Mr. Dunn asked me to help him conduct an investigation into the matter. Last night, Mr. Dunn and I entered the Great Tunnel at exactly 9 p.m. We traveled about two miles into the shaft and then stopped to listen. Listen? Stopped to listen. As we stood there in the cold silence, we both heard what truly sounded like a man groaning out in pain. As you know, I have heard this sound many times during the war. Yet, when we turned up the wicks on our lamps, there was no other human beings in the shaft except Mr. Dunn and myself. I'll admit, I haven't been this frightened since Shiloh. Mr. Dunn agreed that it wasn't the wind we heard, perhaps Nash or Brinkman, I wonder. A month later, on October 17, 1868, the worst disaster in the tunnel's history occurred. Thirteen miners died in a gas explosion that blew apart a surface pumping station. Debris filled the central shaft where the miners were working. Glenn Drohan, a correspondent for the North Adam Transcript, reported that a miner named Mallory was lowered by a bucket and roped to search for survivors. He was brought back up to the surface and almost unconscious from fumes. He gasped, no hope. Poor Mallory, man. They sent him down there twice. I know. Without an operating pump station, the 538-foot shaft soon filled with water. Bodies of some of the dead miners surfaced more than a year later. The remaining bodies were found on a raft that the men had built to float on the rising water. They had suffocated from the vapors of deadly naphtha gas. Drowen wrote, During the time the miners were missing, villagers told strange tales of vague shapes and muffled wails near the water-filled pit. Workmen claimed to see the lost miners carrying picks and shovels through a shroud of mist and snow at the mountaintop. The ghostly apparitions would appear briefly, then vanish, leaving no footprints in the snow, giving no answers to the miners' calls. But as soon as the raft-bound miners were found and given a decent burial, the visitation ceased. Yet deep inside the tunnel, the eerie moanings persisted, and workers were terrified. Four years after the gas explosion, a Dr. Clifford J. Owens visited the tunnel accompanied by James R. McKinstry, a drilling operations superintendent. Dr. Owens wrote the following account, which was thought to have appeared first in a Michigan newspaper. On the night of June 25, 1872, James McKinstry and I entered the great excavation at precisely 11.30 p.m. We had traveled about two full miles into the shaft when we finally halted to rest. Except for the dim smoky light cast by our lamps, the place was as cold and dark as a tomb. James and I stood there talking for a minute or two and were just about to turn back when suddenly I heard a strange, mournful sound. It was just as if someone or something was suffering great pain. The next thing I saw was a dim light coming along the tunnel from a westerly direction. At first, I believed it was probably a workman with a lantern. 
Yet, as the light grew closer, it took on a strange blue color and appeared to change shape almost into the form of a human being without a head. The light seemed to be floating along about two, about a foot or two above the tunnel floor. In the next instant, it felt as if the temperature had suddenly dropped and a cold, icy chill ran up and down my spine. The headless form came so close that I could have reached out and touched it, but I was too terrified to move. For what seemed like an eternity, McKinstry and I just stood there, gaping at the headless thing like two wooden Indians. The blue light remained motionless for a few seconds, as if it were actually looking for us, then floated off toward the east end of the shaft and vanished into thin air. I am above all a realist, he continued, nor am I prone to repeating gossip and wild tales that defy a reasonable explanation. However, in all truth, I cannot deny what James McKinstry and I witnessed with our own eyes. Dun dun. That's a crazy tale. I, I've been inside the Hoosick Tunnel, but I'm ne- I didn't see any like lights. I will say it was very freaking cold, and I don't even think... Did you walk it, or...? Um, I think... I was young and I was I was much more scared than I was than I am now. <laughs> so about thirty years ago. Oh my God! Now we walked probably like fifty or a hundred feet inside of it. It really wasn't that long. I walked until I really couldn't even like see my hand in front of me, <laughs> and then I was like, "No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Thank you." <laughs> so you haven't changed much. No. <clears throat> On October 16, 1874, Frank Webster, a local hunter, vanished. Three days later, a search party found him stumbling along the banks of the Deerfield River in a state of shock. Webster said that strange voices had ordered him into the Hoosick Tunnel, and once he's inside, he saw ghostly figures wandering about. Suddenly, something seized his rifle from his hands and beat him over the head with it. When the searchers found the hunter, he had no weapon with him and he couldn't recall ever leaving the tunnel. During the same year, with tunnel headings completed, workmen removed rubble, completed the grading, and laid track. On February 9, 1875, the first train went through the tunnel. It pulled 125 people in three flat cars and a box car. North Adams had become the western gateway to much of New England. But even with the completion of the tunnel, frightening tales still circulated. In the fall of 1875, Harlan Mulvaney, a fire tender, was driving a wagon load of firewood into the tunnel late one night. Suddenly, Mulvaney turned his team around, whipped the horses across their flanks, and careened out of the tunnel. A couple of days later, workmen found the team in the wagon in the woods three miles from the tunnel. Mulvaney was never seen or heard from ever again. Joseph Impoco, a former employee of the Boston and Maine Railroad, believes there may be some truth to this legend. He went to work for the railroad at the age of 18 and claimed the the tunnel ghosts saved his life. Twice. In an interview that appeared in the Berkshire Sampler of October 30, 1977, Opoco told reporter Eileen Cooperschmid that he was chipping ice from the tracks one day when he heard a voice say, Run, Joe, run. I turned... And sure enough, there was a number 60 coming at me. Boy, did I jump back fast. When I looked, there was no one there, he recalled. And Poco said he heard the voice before he heard the train. He added that he had seen a guy with a torch pass by and wave, but he paid no attention to him. The voice that had come from somewhere saved his life. Well, that's crazy. 
So it scares other people and it saves some people. <laughs> Six weeks later, Mpoko was using an iron crowbar to free freight cars stuck on icy tracks. Someone shouted, Joe, Joe, drop it, Joe. He dropped the bar and it was instantly struck and smashed against the tunnel wall by 11,000 volts of electricity from a short-circuited overhead power line. Later, while removing the trees from the tunnel entrance, Mpoko was nearly crushed when an enormous oak fell in his direction. He outran the falling tree, all the while hearing a strange, unearthly laugh. He was certain it hadn't come from one of his crew members. Joseph Mboko quit his job and moved away, but every year he returned to visit the tunnel and to pay homage to the ghost who had saved his life. He was certain that if he didn't go, tragedy would befall him. In 1977, he stayed home. His wife was ill and she wanted him with her. In October of that year, she died. In 1976, a parapsychologist from Agawam, Massachusetts, visited the tunnel and and claimed to see the figure of a man wearing old-fashioned work clothes. The man appeared with a glowing white light. Could it have been the apparition that Owens and McKinstry had seen 104 years earlier? Allie Allmaker, a philosophy professor at North Adams State College and part-time ghost hunter, wrote in the Berkshires Week issue of July 6th through the 12th, 1984, I have been in the tunnel only once, accompanied by a railroad official, and can attest to the claim that it is an eerie place. I had the uncomfortable feeling that someone was closely walking by behind me in the darkness and would tap me on my shoulder or, worse, pull me into some unknown and unspeakable horror at any moment. And I will say, you do get that feeling that, like, someone's near you or someone's in there, like... I don't know. Right. I get that feeling. I got that feeling. So, I do remember that. But, you know, nothing ever happened. So, Allmaker also reported that, on one occasion, college students took a tape recorder into this tunnel, turned it on, and left. When they retrieved the machine, it sounds like muffled human voices were heard on the tape. Although today's visitors to the area may be tempted to enter the tunnel... He risks his life in doing so because the Boston and Maine Railroad runs a dozen or more freight trains through that tunnel every day. But you can gain an appreciation of the enormous engineering feat by visiting the Hoosick Tunnel Museum in the Western Gateway Heritage State Park that opened in North Adams in 1985. And if you talk to certain old-timers, you'll learn that reports of chilling winds, shrieking noises, and floating apparitions still occur. Perhaps the Mohawk Indians had correctly named Hoosick Mountain. In their language, it means the Forbidden Mountain. And did they also, as some believe, put a curse upon this place to keep it safe from the white invaders? Dun dun. Probably. Isn't the the Boston and Maine Railroad the B&M Railroad that's in Monopoly? I'd imagine so. I think it is. I don't know. Vicky would know. Because Vicky knows. Her wealth of useless knowledge. I know. Well, hold on. Let's oh. Google it. Just uh, <laughs> look up Boston and Maine Railroad. I think it's the, the B&M Railroad that's in Monopoly. I'm pretty sure she had said that the one time we were playing Monopoly together. I don't know. He's Googling, so I'm trying to keep talking. And the cat is still outside screaming. He's very angry at us. 
I think it's B and O. Oh, is it B and O? You know what? That makes sense. Yeah, it's it's B and O. Oh, okay. Whatever. Anyways, that was the story of the Hoosick Tunnel in Massachusetts, which I've been to. <laughs> Again. Which I went to. <laughs> so, and like I said, don't forget, if you want more of a detailed history and you want to read it up yourself, feel free to go to whosicktunnel.net and look up the history there because that is, it's almost, it's like week by week, if not day by day. Like, it's ridiculous. So, it it's a lot. That's why I wasn't putting it in here. But I did use whosicktunnel.net for the hauntings um, and I also used Wikipedia. So, did you like that story? Yeah, I found it really really messed up they sent the same guy down to rescue to try to rescue two teams of people i know after they waited days and they're like yeah no nope they're dead but they built a raft it's like yeah i'd haunt that place too yeah that's weird i don't know why they would send him twice maybe i guess because he was still like working with them well, he's mm-hmm. probably small yeah, and they were like, oh, well, you, you did it the first time, so we're going to send you again. You got this, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's the story for this week, and I guess we'll see you next week. Okay, bye! Thanks for coming to hang out with us and letting us tell you stories. Don't forget, you can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, at 3AM Tales of Terror. You can find pictures from each episode there, as well as our website, 3, the number 3, 3AMTalesOfTerror.com. You can also subscribe with your email at our website for updates as well. If you have questions or story ideas for us, you can email us at info at 3AMTalesOfTerror.com. If you want to support us, you can sign up to become part of our Patreon. There, you will get ad-free episodes as well as bonus content. We hope you'll join us next week. And And we we hope hope you are terrified. terrified.